0: Thank you for joining us for episode two of Free to Love, Transforming Pain to Peace. This week, we have a unique opportunity to sit down with Dr. Terry and Sharon Hargrave. Before we launch into exploring the various steps and themes in the healing journey in the coming episodes, we wanted to take a moment to unpack the underlying psychological and therapeutic modality that informs the skills courses curriculum Jeff developed and that North Coast Calvary Chapel practices, as well as all the other churches that use the skills curriculum. This conversation will help you grasp the importance of restoration therapy and build a foundation for the episodes to come. So Dr. Terry Hargrave, who is he? Well, he's a PhD. He's nationally recognized for his pioneering work with intergenerational families and is the founder of Restoration Therapy. He has authored over 30 professional articles and 14 books, including Restoration Therapy, understanding and guiding healing in marriage and family therapy, and advances and techniques in restoration therapy. He's presented nationally and internationally on the concepts and processes of family and marriage restoration, intergenerational families, and aging. His work has been featured on ABC News, 2020, Good Morning America, and CBS Early Morning, as well as several national magazines, and newspapers. He has been selected as a national conference plenary speaker and as a master series therapist by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Dr. Hargrave is the Evelyn and Frank Fried Professor of Marriage and Family Therapy at Fuller Seminary in Phoenix, Arizona and is president at In Practice at Amarillo Family Institute, Inc. He also happens to be a dear friend of this podcast, of the Rinkies, of the all's mentors, and just sojourners on the journey of healing and following Jesus. His wife, Sharon Hargrave, is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Arizona, California, and Texas. In her work at Fuller Theological Seminary and Pepperdine University, she has developed Relate Strong, a small group curriculum designed to help couples and individuals develop strong and rewarding relationships. In her online private practice, she works with individuals, couples, and families who are facing difficult situations and who are searching to strengthen positive relationships with their loved ones. She received her undergraduate degree from Biola University and her Master's in Marriage and Family from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. She has been a therapist for over 30 years and has shown compassion and understanding for those she serves. These two are an incredible duo. I've had the privilege of hearing them speak on a number of occasions, including this podcast, and it's just a delight to be around them. They've got such a spirit of joy and curiosity, a depth of courage and vulnerability that is just incredibly inviting and empowering. I know that you're going to be blessed by today's conversation. It explores the importance of story, neuroscience, and spirituality as vital components in the healing journey as well as why a community of practice is so crucial to long-term healing and transformation. You may hear us say throughout this season that the podcast is not enough. In order for you to take the next steps in your healing journey, there is a next step beyond the podcast. That could be individual therapy, that could be group therapy, that could be getting plugged into a church. It's, It's something. So I hope today's conversation with Jeff and Jen, with Terry and Sharon, is inspiring, is encouraging, is informative. And thank you so much for joining us this week on Free to Love. All right, everybody. Thank you and welcome to episode two of the Free to Love podcast. It's wonderful to be with you all. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joseph Carlson, and I'm joined by your other host, Jennifer All. Say hi, Jen.
1: Hi. Hello.
0: Jeff Rinky. Hey, everybody. And then today, our special esteemed guests, Terry and Sharon Hargrave. Say hello to everybody. Thanks. Yay. (laughs) yay. Good to be here. Great to have you guys. Yeah, it's quite a privilege. Before we get to kind of the the meat and potatoes of today's uh, podcast, which will be unpacking the, your guys' restoration therapy model and hearing a bit more of your guys' own pain and peace cycle and some of the key insights that you've learned over your, your years of teaching and your years of practice, I'd love it if um, if we could get to know you guys a little bit more. And so, just briefly, um, give us an idea of some of your background, both where you you know how long you've been married. Where are you from? How did you guys end up finding yourselves in the field of psychology, mental health, counseling, healing?
2: Yeah, that's great. Uh, we've been married 42 years. Uh, we have actually known each other for 52 years. We went to school together. And um, we had an on-and-off dating relationship, and we decided to get married uh, And after college and we didn't know what we were going to do with our lives. So we kind of had this idea that we would do community Bible study because that's what we were doing. So we just thought, in three years, we'll go to seminary. And in the midst of that, Sharon says, well, uh, I've always wanted to be a counselor. If we're going to go away to seminary, I think I'd like to train as a therapist. And I said, Sounds good to me. And uh, somehow we found ourselves in a marriage and family program. Uh, and uh, I, I, we both did master's level work at a seminary. I went ahead and did my doctoral work. And that's was the beginning. That's how we started in marriage and family therapy. And it's been a wonderful track.
3: Currently, we live in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, we both teach for Fuller Theological Seminary in Phoenix at their Phoenix program. Uh, I also work as a consultant to Pepperdine University. Um, and in our journey to uh, in our journey with each other, we also had two children. Mm-hmm. Um, all our children live in New York City, and I say all our children now because they're both married. So we consider ourselves to now have four children uh, and two grandchildren. And we love uh, being part of the Northeast and being able to visit there quite a bit. So, currently we're uh, learning about how to be parents and in-laws and grandparents, and the journey of life continues. Mm-hmm.
0: Wait, so you guys are still learning? I thought you were the experts. You had it all figured out. There's no arrival here?
2: Uh, Not not so far for us. We'll let you know when we get there. uh.
1: Can I ask how much, because I know you do private counseling, private therapy, but you've also been professors. How does that fit into your career walk?
2: You know, I, I... in my career, particularly, I've been kind of known as a vagabond. I just just don't do one thing. And so, you know, I, I kind of see my one best thing is teaching. My second best thing that I have to do is writing. And then the third thing that is my privilege to do is speaking and uh, helping people. So, uh, and therapy is part of all three of those reasons. It's produces a lot of synergy for me.
3: Therapy is my first love. I am actually uh, have a private practice now, and I'm licensed in Arizona, California, and Texas. But when we moved to California so we could work with Fuller Seminary, there were quite a bit of requirements we had to do to get relicensed. And in the meantime, in order to stay involved in the field, I began teaching some at Fuller, and then I also began to develop psychoeducational materials. So that was more done out of necessity, and then I began to really love being also involved in preventative care as well as aftercare with the professional uh, trains that we
0: followed. Wonderful. Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of background on, on you guys. Um, Talk to me about restoration therapy in general. Is this something, how was it conceived of? Um, and briefly, how, how would you, if I give you five minutes or less, how would you describe to somebody who is utterly unfamiliar with restoration therapy what exactly it is?
3: Well, let me, let me take the how we got involved. Great. <laughs> we got involved uh, because we were invited by some friends to learn about doing marriage intensives. Uh, Marriage intensives are an experience where you have four couples, two therapists, they're for couples in crisis, and you spend four days together. And we lived in Amarillo, Texas at the time, and we had some friends that had a beautiful ranch that wanted to work with marriages, and they invited us out to dinner one night to hear about their plan. And I'll never forget, as we were driving out to their ranch, Terry looked at me and said, now why are we going out here? (laughs) So we didn't really have a plan.
2: Yeah, And so uh, that started the journey of really uh, learning about how to effectively do therapy. Sharon and I, uh, part of the training that we had done is with a a therapy called contextual therapy. And that model particularly teaches about the importance of trustworthiness. At that Mm -hmm. time, it was one of the only therapies that talked about trustworthiness. And trust is so essential to human condition because it it allows you to interact in relationships at a safe level. Mm. Along with that as we started developing our thinking, we also realized with the attachment theory how important love is because it teaches you about your identity. So this idea of identity and safety loved uh, learned through love and trustworthiness that w- we re- finally recognize that is the essential quality of what relationships work. Mm-hmm. And it's the essential element of our primary emotions. Every emotion that we feel, when we feel disturbance in our identity or sense of safety, we react because that's the way that God strung us together. We are, we are prone to get upset in what we call emotionally dysregulated, Uh, So identity and safety are the primary emotive quality, not only in relationships, but individuals. And then that allowed us to see where people go sideways Mm. really easily. Because then if you understand that you... That these things trigger you or dysregulate you around your identity or safety, then you can easily see how reactivity occurs, where people try to cope with that, particularly in destructive ways. Mm. And restoration therapy articulates those as blame, shame, control, and escape. You can have one of those as a reactive coping mechanism, so you can have two of them, you can have three of them. Mm-hmm. Or you can have the whole enchilada and have four of them. I mean, it is, it is really amazing. But the way the brain works is in a patterned way. So from time to time to time, when you get emotionally dysregulated at any particular point, you start learning this particular pattern of reactivity. Well, for us, the idea was if we can articulate that, pattern of dysregulation, then we can start articulating a pattern of emotional regulation, how mm-hmm. to recapture yourself yeah. in the midst of that dysregulation and tell yourself the truth of your identity of who you are, your safety of who you are. Then you have the opportunity to make these great choices, mm-hmm. uh, like how to nurture Relationships, how to value yourself instead of shaming yourself, how to be balanced in the give and take instead of controlling someone else, and how to emotionally and reliably connect instead of escaping.
3: And how that fit into the marriage intensive training that we did was if we have four couples in crisis, what are the most significant things that we can teach them? Mm in that time period that we would have to help them come to a place of hope. Mm. And these principles began to develop with the therapists that we worked with uh, at the marriage intensive so we could really capitalize on if we have four days Mm -hmm. to get you to a new and better place, how are we going to do that?
0: Yeah,
2: And we quickly realized then that although we'd been doing therapy for 15 years— we had turned on a afterburner mm. in helping people get better quickly. And the reality is uh, we had a good marriage. We ended up having this this kind of thinking led to us having a great marriage.
0: Mm. Mm. So it sounds like the restoration therapy wasn't something that was uh, designed in a lab, but it was born out of the field. It was, it was born out of— um, real-life experience with cr- couples in crisis and kind of in retrospect, you guys are building the f- the plane as you fly it and then looking back and saying, well, hey, uh, what patterns do we see emerging as we work with these couples in crisis? Is that right?
3: Yes, exactly. And I think we begin to also realize when you have to help people that are at a critical state quickly, you don't want to just talk about what the problem is. Mm. You want to talk about the solution. You want to get them to mm-hmm. a new place In four days. Yeah. And how do you do that?
2: I do want to say also, it's sort of like the Holy Spirit was along this, because we actually had the components of family therapy, uh, of restoration therapy, from our family therapy framework. There's really nothing new in restoration therapy. But what clicked for us finally is, is what we say, ah, now I see the picture, how all these models Mm -hmm. How all these ideas fit together. and the way it fits together is what's actually new about restoration therapy. All the concepts of the therapy or you you'll find concepts of restoration therapy in every kind of therapy that you do. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting it all under one roof in a, in a manageable bite, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's what's special about restoration therapy
1: great summary there. That's like an amazing, that was like the restoration therapy model in a nutshell. <laughs> and we commonly call it the pain and peace cycle. And that was just beautiful. Well done.
4: I have a question for you. Um, uh, because we're a faith community um, and this podcast is birthed out of uh, Calvary Chapel and and uh, and through our relationship we've had in the last 10 years, as you guys have been very impactful. And through this model, we've We've integrated into the faith community. We've integrated not only to therapeutic model, but as well as to psychoeducational, pastoral counseling, uh, small groups, and now we're moving into more of a discipleship model. Could you share with us the uniqueness or how that the restoration model is anchored into a biblical truth or spiritual reality?
2: Uh, that's one of the most exciting things to me, Jeff. Is mm. is uh, because very quickly, what we started seeing uh, in R.T. because you're you're really talking about a a pain cycle where you get emotionally dysregulated, moving to a really a peace cycle where you're emotionally regulated, and realizing that all the good stuff comes out of you. Your best stuff comes out of you when you're in your peace cycle. A really bad, troubling part of you comes out of your pain cycle. That just uh, it was it was like a spotlight went on in Romans twelve too. It says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And and then in Ephesians chapter four, it says you you know you weren't taught to do that in Christ. You were taught to take off the old self, which is corrupted by all sorts of deceitful desires, but by the renewing of the spirit of your mind, put on the new self. That was like a that was like a uh, eye opener to us. But we were we were excited about it. But then uh, we had the privilege of going to a workshop with N.T. Wright, who's probably a preeminent uh, mm-hmm. Pauline scholar of our time uh NT Wright at that moment was uh writing his book after you believe which basically said after you come to a knowledge of Christ what you have to do is learn how to take off the old self and put on the new self how do yeah. you do that yeah. you work by concentrating on virtue and we were I Sharon and I were sitting in the pew that night at Lake Avenue uh, at church, and we were rubbing our hands together like, all right, we, we, we are on it. And uh, it was a real confirmation from That's the great. Holy Spirit that we were in the right place. Mm-hmm.
3: I think as a Christian, we've always believed we should live in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, mm. and self-control— But it was often, as we refer to it sometimes, white-knuckling it. Mm -hmm. I need to be patient. I need to be kind. (laughs) I need to be gentle. I need to be these Mm -hmm. things because Scripture tells me I need to be these things. But we didn't know how to get ourselves to a place of peace so that those characteristics flow through us naturally. Even with somebody that we're upset with, if we can get to a place of peace, we can be kind. We can be patient. Mm -hmm. We can exhibit self-control, but we can't do that when we're activated. And that was the key for us in taking those principles to a scriptural place Mm. of saying, oh, scripture does teach us how to do this, and it's not just white-knuckling it and making ourselves be those things. It's resting in who we are in Christ,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and then absorbing all those characteristics that flow through us.
0: Yeah. I, I love the language that you're borrowing from Paul, the the old self and the new self. Um, but one thing I, I hear often amongst the faith communities, people say, well, hey, I, I, I met Jesus. You know, I'm sure I may have done, uh, done things I didn't like in the past or things happened to me in the past, but now I'm a new creation, right? Um, so what would you say to people who are coming, um, coming into relational conflict with a perspective like that that says, well, hey, I shouldn't, I mean, I'm a Christian now. I shouldn't have these, these issues of dysregulation.
2: That's one of the the amazing things about Paul is he recognized the idea that we have a foot in a fallen world while at the exact same time we are totally renewed, we're totally saved, and have a foot in heaven. Mm. And uh that's why Paul uses this language. He says, this is not a once and for all task. There is a once and for all decision where you are uh, placed as a citizen of heaven, but you still have that foot in the fallen world. And that's what Paul is Drilling into our minds is saying you have to get used to cooperating with the Spirit. Mm. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot in Romans chapter eight, Paul just he he spells this out, and he's talking to people that are Christians. There's the way of the flesh Mm. that will end in sin and death. There's the way of the Spirit that will bring you life and peace. Mm. So you choose which direction you're going to go. Uh, the old self is clearly those choices that are going to bog you down. You were saved, yes, but you will live in this fallen, dysregulated emotional state. Uh, you have to actually work with the Holy Spirit to actually enjoy those fruits of the Spirit. Because
1: mm-hmm. sometimes when you're a believer, you you know the truth. You have chosen faith you believe but you're there you've got an old entrenched habit of these old patterns this old self that is just hardwired in from years and years of years of believing a lie about your identity or about your the safety around you and so you you go to these old habits and old patterns and so much of it is you you now believe in Jesus you know he's changed everything but it's relearning and undoing the old habit and relearning so if I believe this truth about who he is, what does that actually mean in my day-to-day, moment-to-moment life? I don't have to depend on what I learned all these years before. I get to choose differently now. And that gospel makes a difference in this moment of how I respond in this conversation. And, and it allows the Holy Spirit and it allows the fruit of the Spirit, just like you were saying, Sharon, to flow through me in a different way. And that's the rewiring that's happening inside of us that Romans 12, that rewiring. So we're actually retraining our brains and, and learning daily to put on the new self. Mm. Like I just, this is so integrated with the gospel and it's, it's so helpful for me personally to see how, um, how relevant faith in Christ actually rewires me to live differently. Like and I not- feel different.
3: Yeah, I think I think I'm just remembering Terry. Another thing about uh, the process we did here in T. Wright that was really motivational. And then the field of neuroscience started coming out with all mm-hmm. this yeah. information about how you can actually change. You know, mm-hmm. for years the mantra has been that you can't really change. And then this whole idea started developing that we can actually change neural pathways in our brain and -hmm. that the brain is flexible and change can happen. And I remember that was also something, Terry, along the way that we started going, whoa, this is really exciting. This isn't just scripture, not saying just scripture, this isn't. (laughs) But but science now is saying change can happen, and and wow, we can incorporate that into restoration therapy and what we're teaching, and that was a really exciting next step too.
2: Yeah, there's this quote that I, I read in this book, this neuroscience book one time that was saying after eons, uh, the the life sentence of the limbic system has mm-hmm. now been commuted. And the key has been found. Mm. Wow! Old neural pathways can be changed. New ways can be encoded. I mean, that's really, I, I don't know how to phrase That's a scientific way of saying, you've got a new self, dude. You know, start <laughs> yeah. acting like it. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's such a statement of hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Intensely hopeful. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: And I think it's encouraging to see how scriptures, this ancient scriptures, of God's wisdom just continues to is being reinforced by current knowledge and scientific evidence mm. uh, when we talk about the brain uh, i know part of the process and you know rob and i have been blessed to be able to do the uh, intensives and working with couples and part of the process as we walk through their restoration walking into the restoration model is storytelling and could you can you make this real as sharing your own story but on a practical basis of sharing what in your own journey of what is your pain cycle, and then how have you learned to process putting off the old and then the process of walking into your peace cycle of putting on the new? Could you kind of just briefly, you guys, kind of share your own story and how this has been so revelatory and experientially transformative for you?
2: Yeah, for me, I... I grew up in a physically abusive household, so it, it was not easy uh, to see anything but that my parents were hostile toward me. Uh, I I'd hoped that they'd loved me at some point, but. I really, I didn't ever feel that. So uh, there's no safety and no sense of identity. Mm -hmm. So what I integrated that as is this deep sense that something was deeply flawed with me. And certainly I'd never felt safe. What I would do in coping with that was I would withdraw in shame. I was a deep bonafide loner Like uh, you must be so bad because nobody cares for you. Uh, it didn't take me long to realize as a kid that I wouldn't get anywhere that way, uh, and so I started trying to perform my way into identity, yeah. which is a control mechanism. And
4: I can relate with that. <laughs> and I would work at it and work
2: at it and work at it, and I I, I would finally just. Get exhausted to the point where I'd say this is not fair, and that's where I'd blow up with anger. I'd get so fed up, mm. and then of course when I get angry, I just reinforce the whole reason why I was such a cruddy human being, and that I'd start shaming myself all over again.
4: Sounds like you're telling my story too. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but the 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 revelation of of. uh Christ, for me, was essential in that process of really starting to learn that not only did God love me, but really God had a place for me somewhere along the line. So uh, as I grew and I matured in Christ, I started seeing the value of that. And then part of what you're talking about, the neuroscience of of you know, Paul says these very things to us about mindfully thinking on these things, um, two thousand years before neuroscience does it, and uh, being learning learning how to apply that really unlocked a part of my heart where always before I was trying to white knuckle my way through anger by. A, by being as vulnerable as I knew how to do. But then when I started getting in touch with how precious in God's eyes were, I was, how well held I was, how safe I was, then that started disarming my anger from the inside out instead of the outside in.
1: Good. So, Terry, your pain cycle, your what would your your felt words be? Terry feels if you were like to do the first step of your four steps.
2: Well, I I I always feel unloved and unwanted yeah. and feel like I there's nothing I can do to measure up. Mm-hmm. Felt like a failure constantly.
1: And then your your go to copings are shame, perform, and anger.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then
1: your truths.
2: The truth is is that you know I really realize how loved and how precious I am, mm-hmm. that God really desires me, and in my language, I'm man enough that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm perfect. it means that i'm i all I have to do is show up. God's gifted me enough to be able to find my way, whatever the way that God shows me, and then that allows me to really go to more. In being connecting and nurturing and self-valuing, uh, for me, I can always tell when I'm in my pain cycle if I'm not connected and I'm not nurturing somebody, I'm withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm fooling around with it's one being, of your
1: telltale signs. Yeah,
3: yeah,
2: absolutely. That's so
3: good. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I think about the pain and the peace cycle is that I'm, I'm always learning about myself. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sitting here listening to Terry tell his story, it's making me realize that um, how marriage was the thing that made me realize, marriage and dating were the things that made me realize something was terribly wrong. Mm. Um, I grew up in a very loving home, but we had a lot of trauma. Um, My father committed suicide when I was three. I had a brother that died of acute leukemia when I was four. And I had another brother that was murdered when I was 13. That's just Mm. crazy. Mm. And it was—and as I look back and see how God met my needs in those times, I was surrounded by ministries, Christian youth Mm. camp that meant a lot in my life, young life, navigators, a church that loved me and my family— And I think there was kind of a a belief that all was okay Mm. because I had this other extended family that stepped in. And then Terry and I started dating, and I couldn't stay in relationship with him. Mm. Uh, We'd start getting too close. Um, I'd start really relaxing in the relationship, and he'd start talking about something like marriage, and I'd break up, and I'd go away. And then Gosh. it would happen over and over and over again. I probably broke up with him thousands of times. <laughs> and I always felt like the reason that I was breaking up was his fault. It wasn't that there was anything wrong with me. Now, as I look back at those years, what I would also tell you is I also never had a best friend. Mm. I had groups of friends. I had people in my life. But I didn't pull anybody close. Terry and I actually weren't dating the night we got engaged, and I had a difficult time, even broke the nine-month engagement once, and then I stepped into marriage, and there was more conflict, and again, I would have told you at the time that was because of Terry and all of his problems, (laughs) and then I began to understand through interactions with other people that actually... I was distant from people, I was controlling, mm. and I could get really critical.
4: For example, if he ate too many hamburgers. For
3: example, that's one of my favorite stories <laughs> is I broke up with him one night because he ate too many hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> and um so I had to I had to start looking at why is there so much conflict in our marriage? And maybe all the problem wasn't Terry. Mm. Um And began to understand my controlling, critical self and how that would be hard to live with. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually a situation at church. I was director of uh, Vacation Bible School one year at my church, and um, I thought it was the best-run Vacation Bible School in the history of the world. And we had all these kids and all these teachers, and I thought everybody was happy and then one day I was walking through the halls of my church at Vacation Bible School. I was in my early 40s at the time, and the co director looked at me and said, Hey, Sharon, quit acting like a pit bull with PMS.
4: Whoa. Oh, my God. And I thought,
3: wow. Oh, my gosh, Terry's not the only person mm. that thinks I'm controlling. Wow. It changed my life in that moment. I thought, I've got to learn. To not have everything my way, I've got to learn to relax and enjoy other people. i didn't have a best friend until I was in my forties, mm. but understanding so,
4: that your tendency to be controlling it is it is attached to the the trauma of your of your family of origin,
3: yeah, and I didn't get that.
1: yeah, mm. I thought Terry
3: had a lot of problems that's
1: so relatable though. I know so many people listening yeah. right now. Are mm-hmm. it, it's so it's so easy to externalize the problem and um it's it, it is a wake up call to realize it's and something I think going it, on inside of us.
3: Yeah, and especially in a Christian context sometimes because we gloss over the pain. Yeah. Because people did love us and people did support my family and I did have a bigger family, but I think I stopped failed to stop and say, My father's gone, my brother's not mm. here. My other brother's gone and began to realize the impact of that situation in my life mm.
1: has been something I'm still working on yeah. today.
3: I'm still trying to understand
1: it. So what mm-hmm. have you learned that those, like, what is your, how do you, how have you now understood how those things affected you? What do you, how do you understand your pain cycle now? I'm, one of my key things is I fear being alone and I fear
3: things are unsafe. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I have to really let myself know that I'm not alone. I mean, there's many reasons I could tell you that I'm not alone. There's many ways that even looking back about how God sustained our family through all those difficult times makes me know I'm not unsafe, Mm -hmm. makes me know that I am safe in God's economy and I am not alone. But I think I've had to come to realization more of the long-term effects of growing up without a father, Mm. of the long-term effects that every Christmas and every Thanksgiving that rolls around, I wish for my brothers. I wish for their wives that I never knew. I wish for the nieces and nephews. Mm. That ambiguous sense of loss Mm. is part of trauma. So when I've learned about ambiguous loss, for instance, it's like that's also a part of my trauma. So there's so much to learn. Yeah.
1: Wow. Thanks for sharing that Sharon. I know yeah. it's hard every time you have to share it and you're these people they're just so amazing because they're so vulnerable all the time mm-hmm. and they use their own stories as as um they're like we are the first learners of all of this and and they do that every time they present, they every time they teach, they share of themselves and thanks for doing it again for us.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, one of our favorite things that we talk about because we did both grow up in an abusive home myself with trauma when we talk about verse in Romans eight twenty eight, that God says, God causes all things for good. Mm-hmm. And although we would never wish for anybody, suicide, mm-hmm. murder, death by leukemia, physical abuse, emotional abuse, it's through those experiences that we both ended up in Amarillo, Texas, mm-hmm. and met each other through eighth grade English. And so the good that has been able to come through all the pain is embodied in our lives
1: together. Which has caused such a dynamic, amazing, glory to God, healing ministry. I mean, everything you've been through, and then for you guys to be together, united, there is such a call on your marriage, and we are all the beneficiaries, and the work that God has cultivated in you. Taught you and that you've been able to teach to others is just extraordinary. And you can see that He is redeeming. You can see that He is a God who redeems. And He's currently and actively constantly doing that for your stories and for so many other lives.
3: Well, and I think the one more thing I would add is the whole concept of me being afraid I would be alone. Mm. I was living out because I was pushing people away from Mm me. And it's when I began to understand that it was my actions (laughs) that was pushing people away then I have learned and have experienced this joy of not being alone through the walk of marriage that's been incredible. But had I never stopped to learn what my pain was causing me to do, to create the very thing I feared.
4: You know, one of the things that I'm so grateful for this model and that we've been able to integrate, not only in our own personal lives, I think, for Joseph and for Jennifer and I and and our marriages, is that this has really helped us in our own Mm marriages— Uh Even a step further, it has been powerful and significant in our ministries here at the church, and we're seeing this in other churches and This transformational model um we're just so grateful for but one of the things that being uh working at a church and I've been on staff here for twenty six years is historically the church has not always been a safe place mm and I think what we're experiencing, what we're and part of our intentionality is, we want the church, because the church should be the safest place on the planet. And so, what we what we want to just hear from you, and maybe we can talk about is how this this particular transformational model is important in a faith based community for people to come and to be able to address their issues, to share their stories, to talk about their pain, to be able to discuss areas of, of past sin or areas where they have been caught in addiction or mental health issues. And so maybe you can share with us a little bit of, as you started off in a therapeutic model, how it's now moving into, into a faith community and, um, and what, do you, what do you see how this is so important and in integrating this into church life?
2: Well, one of the key elements of what we see in terms of restoration is, is that it can't be just contained in one person. It immediately spark it finds itself in a relationship. And so when you start transforming a relationship, that relationship finds other relationships and pretty soon those multiple relationships, end up representing a communal process. Mm. Imagine uh, you know we all know that the angels rejoice when someone comes to Christ. It's like hey, yeah. there's another there's another citizen in the kingdom of heaven. This is this is sort of like the Hebrews 12 that there's such a great cloud of witnesses mm. watching what's happening out on the field. So this is sort of the The long drive, if you will, of Christianity Mm -hmm. is learning how to, as an individual, as a couple, as a community, start encouraging one another to love and good deeds. And you cannot do that apart from the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I think, you know, people comment to us all the time is y'all are so vulnerable and open. With your story, yeah, and people are afraid to do that in the church usually because they're going, they're afraid that somebody is going to look down on them. In the process of restoration therapy, your vulnerability is your best thing that you're putting forth. Yeah, your great. pain is the mm-hmm. yeah. the part that's actually being redeemed, and it's being redeemed as you say, "I feel pain." and this is the corresponding truth that's going to get me out of that pain yeah. and there's a great cloud of witness every time we do that whether it's in, individually or as a couple or as a community it's in the in the grandstands going go go yeah, go you know good. do it more do it more be more vulnerable because that vulnerability puts you in touch with your pain. That mm. pain actually shows the way to the truth. When you do the truth, then it encourages and reunites the best part of you as a community that can happen as you as a person, as a couple, as a community like you' like you're talking about all the time jeff. The, the magic of transformation of the church. Uh, you're right. The church should be the safest place in the world, but mm-hmm. to do that, you have to be vulnerable and honest.
1: Yeah, good. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I think of the the when David said that he you know he talks about um, how God is attracted to brokenness where God is close to the brokenhearted mm-hmm. and he heals those who are crushed in spirit and that he actually is drawn toward our vulnerability. He's drawn toward our brokenness. And so we're that, where we, I think, historically in our pain cycle is that we want to protect ourselves. We want to withdraw from people. We want to, you know, we want to defend ourselves as a with Christ's love and in a place of grace, we actually, we can be at a safe place to be vulnerable and to be transparent. Transparent, but at the same time, how we need to create in our churches, we need to create a community of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to let people know that we accept them just where they are.
2: And Frederick Biechner writes about this over and over again about this transforming power only happens when the leadership goes all in. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, well, I can't let my congregation know that about me, uh, that the congregation responds in that way by saying, I won't let you see about me because you may judge me. Uh, that's, that's how we end up without faces yeah. in a congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that we really end up being known and having the kind of relationship you're talking about is through the vulnerability and not just staying there with pain, but actually reconditioning our pain with the truth.
3: Mm.
0: Mm. Powerfully said, Terry. Thank you. Um, One of the things that that brings to mind is, I know often in the skills courses and in in each of our own lives, we run into this, this challenge, this hurdle, this problem in our transformational journey, which is that Maybe you've come to, you've been in a skills course before. Or maybe they've read one of your books or they've listened to a podcast like this mm-hmm. one, and they have received great conceptual tools. Right? I mean, the restoration therapy is is a model that's easy, that's easy to communicate conceptually. It's easy to grasp. Right? Um, but then we all hit this these these hurdles or these roadblocks in our transformational process where it hasn't moved from our head down to our mm-hmm. heart. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that. You will always live in, in the head if you are unwilling to be vulnerable, right? And it's in the vulnerability of sharing our stories and being honest about naming the feelings that come up with it, the pain, the aching loss that I heard you name. Um, that's where we start to gain access to the, the heart, which is the thing that needs, I mean, the head needs convincing, right? You said we, we need truth, right? But the true transformation is going to happen when, when that transforms our heart.
2: Yeah, it's it's deployed in the experience. You know, there was an old uh, swing song back in the the '30s called "It It 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 Don't Mean a Thing If You Ain't Got That Swing." Mm-hmm. You know, if you are not if you're not going to take what you know is the truth and actually run it through your life in terms of vulnerability and relationships. That's where the real change starts coming back to you. Because when I actually nurture Sharon, when I can put myself, when I can believe the truth that God has given me, that I'm loved, I'm wanted, that I'm man enough, and I reach across and I say to Sharon, I love you. You're the most important person to me. I love doing life with you. Her response isn't like, Meh. Her response is like, I love you too. I'm with you all the way. We are on the same team, which then reinforces that very truth that Mm -hmm. I'm really desperately looking for. So, you know, she becomes part of the grandstand saying, go, go, go. Uh, By the way, she finds the truth in herself through the very actions that I do.
0: Well, I think we should probably wrap things up. and now you guys have get, got to get on the road. Um, before we go, though, I'm thinking, about, um, I'm thinking about the people that God is going to bring to this podcast. Um, and our, our deep hope, obviously, this is a tool, a, a digital tool that people can access in their cars. They can access in the safety of their own little bubble. Um, we long for this to be an invitation or a bridge into healing community because like you just so powerfully said, true transformation and true healing don't happen unless it's in community. So I'm thinking about the community of, um, of wounded hopeful souls that have heard some of your guys' story that are, that are plugged into either the Relate Strong groups or into um, skills classes here at uh, our church or at some of the other local churches around here. Um, and maybe they have, um, maybe they've experienced some, some initial epiphany, right? But uh they haven't they've they're at that place where they need some more encouragement um what is it that you would say to them um how could you be could you speak directly to them to be that um that cheering voice of hebrews 12 you know um what is it that you would offer them in that moment
3: i think i would say just practice it will take a while mm. just practice Just tell yourself the truth. Learn how to react differently. It'll take some work. It's hard work. You're actually creating new neural pathways in your brain. It does not happen easily. But then suddenly, you'll begin to understand how when you self-regulate, how when you reach out to nurture your spouse, how when you stop to understand somebody instead of get critical about who they are, The benefit of how people love you back, Mm. how people nurture you back, Mm. how people long to be in relationship with you because you're a calming, peaceful presence. I mean, I've noticed that in my marriage. I've noticed that in my relationship with my adult children. I noticed that in relationship with friends, that honestly, the way God can love me is when I am loving this benefit that you get back. is just amazing. Mm. Mm. People don't want to practice, but it's just like anything else. You know, if I told you today I wanted to learn how to lift weights or play basketball or play tennis or brush my teeth with my opposite hand <laughs> or all the millions of things that sometimes we want to learn, it takes time, it takes practice, but once you step over that magic line, mm. it's just kind of an amazing experience.: mm.
2: Yeah, I, likewise, I, I would say directly to who is ever listening, uh, there's this verse in Second Thessalonians chapter three. It says, "Do not weary of doing good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, do not get tired of practicing your truth. And practicing those agency type choices like nurture, self-value, balance, give and take, reliably connecting. Do not weary of doing that. Whether it takes one time, 20 times, a thousand times, it is worth the effort that you put into it. And Do not take your pain cycle as a failure. Take your pain cycle as the very opportunity to practice again.
4: Mm. Mm. That's good. I think of the passage, Paul says, work out your salvation Mm. in fear and trembling because it is God who's working in you for, for his good pleasure. So again, you're just reiterating that practice is, as you were sharing yesterday at our training is that the Holy Spirit's going, yes, you can do this. Come on, we can do this. However, we have to make the choice. We have to be responsible and walk in that place of obedience and choose to live in truth and to process and live out that truth in the power of God's spirit.
1: And I the word intentional keeps coming to my mind. I hear you saying that. We have to be intentional. If you're going to learn how to brush your teeth with your opposite hand at first, it does not come easily at first. And it's so that those early times are when you want to give up. And so I just feel like the the more we practice this, the easier, the faster the truth comes. And it, it, it it's still, it's just that intentionality of choosing that it's worth it. And I feel like it's a little bit like losing weight, right? As you start, it's really hard at first. And as you change your lifestyle, it gets a little bit easier. And then you start seeing results and you're like, hey, yeah, okay, this is worth the effort. This is worth not eating <laughs> so many donuts. Like, it's it's great. And I just feel like, yes, um, it is worth it.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember um, when the crisis one of the many crises I've had in my life uh, that first brought me into contact with your guys' uh, model and in working with Jeff here at the church. I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm going to knock this out in like three to six months, three to six months. I'll have it, I'll have it figured out. You'll and, arrive yeah, finally. I'll arrive and I'll be healed <laughs> and I'll be free <laughs> and I'll quit being the problem in my relationship. And well, that was a handful of years ago. And I have, I have experienced firsthand exactly what you're talking about, Sharon, that um, it is this incredible incremental uh, process, Um, but I'm getting to experience in real time the fruit of that persistence, of that hard work, of that repetition that it requires, as you said so beautifully, Jeff, to work out our salvation, to work out our transformation, to partner with the work that the Holy Spirit is inviting us into, that great work of making all things new, to step one one foot further into the new kingdom that you talked about at the beginning. So thank you so much, you guys, for your life, for your willingness to say yes to God, to partner with the, the unique work that he has set aside for you guys. We have all benefited personally professionally, and I I look forward to see what God is going to do in and through you guys in the future. Um, I know if people want to to find out more about you guys and the work that you've done, I know you've written a couple of books. There's Five Days to a New Marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Five Days to a New Self. There's Restoration Therapy. These are all books that you guys have authored. Is there um, Where could people go to find out more about you guys and the work that you're doing?
3: Well, the easiest is we both have websites at terryhargrave.com and sharonhargrave.com. That's the easiest place uh, I would say to connect with us.
2: Yeah, and if you're if you're a therapist or somebody of that nature that wants to learn more about the the background behind this restorationtherapytraining.com. dot com.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure to put those websites in the show notes so people can find it pretty easily. Well, thank you guys mm-hmm. so Thanks much you again guys for joining being it's there. There. A, for it's us. It's been such a Thanks for having us. Great. It's been great. Thank you. It's it's our
2: great. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help, or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by joseph carlson and edited by nate king original music by the one and only brian mcmaster